Well, I feel like our we just added another staff member. So welcome to the team. Welcome. <laughs> okay, we're going to cut me out and just add her. That's fine with me. Uh, how powerful is it that all weekend you felt silenced and then you're up here just telling a bunch of people, like, I just think that that, like, big props. We'll give you some snaps. So there you go. Also, some of you, uh, I'm going to paraphrase a Lewis quote, I think. Um, who could say, really? Uh, C.S. Lewis says, uh, C.S. Lewis could, um, when it comes to um, the spiritual realm and the uh, demonic activity, if you will, or uh, spirits, says there's kind of two errors that we can make. One is that we can go around thinking that there's a demon behind every bush and that every bad thing that ever happens to us is like the, uh, the devil did this. And even if it's a decision that I made, the, the devil made me do it. Um, the other is that we can believe that the spiritual realm doesn't exist um, and that those two errors um, can, can get us in a lot of trouble. And so maybe tonight as she shared her story, it's the first time you ever had thought about um, the devil uh, being the ruler of this world or the devil influencing situations. And so I'd encourage you to just read your Bible, um, talk with a staff member. We'd love to kind of help you grow in your understanding of that. I know that it was new for me at some point when I came to college because I, I showed up to college pretty biblically illiterate. Um, and so kind of growing in a Christian worldview, I'd encourage you just if you have questions, we'd love to talk with you about that. So thanks so much for sharing. I've actually already texted Noah. Hope that's okay. So tough. So great. Hey, uh, we are going to continue in our John series tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter four. We're going to be finishing John four this week. Katie was kind enough to preach three quarters of John four last week, and then I'll take the last little bit this week. Um, and so I'm excited. Uh, is it up there too? Oh, you hate to see it. Uh, I think I can get rid of that. Uh, back. Oh, yeah, it's gone. You like that? Hey, like them apples. I got her number. Goodwill hunting? Huh? Get lit. <sighs> All right, so uh, before we start in John chapter 4, I'm going to tell you a story. So my first car ever was a 1991 Pontiac Grand Dam. <laughs> it, yeah, it was like brand new. That's tough. Um, it was... It was a five-speed. Um, yeah, do you guys know how to drive manual cars anymore? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, they are fantastic. I loved it. I hated it when I first got it because I had no idea how to drive it. But then once I figured it out, I loved that thing. Uh, it was awesome. But here's the thing. I grew up in the country, if you will. Uh, we had one high school where I'm from. We, our graduated class was more than 14, um, but not much. And, uh, and so I lived out of town. And so in order to get to town, 
you had to drive fast to get to town, right? Because you had a 1991 Pontiac Grand Am, and so you needed to see what you could do in that bad boy. Um, and so I had a little bit of a uh, lead foot, as my parents would call it. Um, and so my parents kept telling me, hey, you need to slow down. Hey, you need to slow down. And I'm like, whatever. Because, um, you know, 16, what else do you say to your parents? Um, so then it was a uh, Halloween night. Okay, I was 16, so this would have been 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys remember? Do you guys remember? Yeah, 2001. You guys remember Halloween 2001? Tough. Tough. So, yeah, I was working at the arcade on Main Street in Front Royal. Um, at the time, I was making $4.25 an hour, um, and that was legal. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, like, training wage for 90 days at small businesses? Um, and so that's what I made, four, four and a quarter. And so I got off work at the arcade, and it was Halloween, and I was just going to go home because I was tired. And so I left uh, downtown. <laughs> I said downtown Front Royal. No, I left Main Street. It's, there's, no, there's no downtown in Front Royal. There's just, like, Front Royal. Uh, and so I went, uh, I turned left on... Uh, We'll call it 55, because that's the name of the road. Um, and I just, I opened her up just to see what she could do, because I was going home. Um, car in front of me turned off, and then I just really let her fly. Uh, and then I looked up in the rearview mirror, and those bright blue lights were on. Um, and uh, Officer Fogel, because I'm from a small town, so I, Officer Fogel, I knew who he was, and he knew who I was, and so Tammy's not going to be happy about this. Oh, you're right, sir. Uh, so he gets, he gets up to the window. I'm shaking, you know, and it's like, I'm, you know, it's over. It's finished. And he says, he said, so uh, do you know how fast you were going? Oh, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> do you know how fast I was going? <laughs> he did. Um, turns out Halloween is his birthday. Um, and he has an open door policy on his birthday. If he opens the door, you get the ticket. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was tough. Um, so, uh, he got me for 80 and a 45. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to go, you might as well go big, right? And so the story gets better. The story gets better. He got me for 80 and a 45. He did, uh... He called my mom uh, before I even got home. He had already called my mom and told her how polite I was, so that was kind. Um, <laughs> he still wrote me the ticket. Uh, he said, so um, talk to me about your rearview mirror. And I was like, yo, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, evidently you don't. He said, I followed you the whole way from the arcade. He said, I was behind you the entire time. Like, I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> and I was like, I was just seeing what I could do, I guess. Why'd you let me go that long? <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that was my first ticket. My second ticket was later, and then I had my license revoked for 90 days. Um, that was tough. But I have not, uh, yeah, no, dude, I hadn't learned my lesson. Um, and so uh, I haven't got a speeding ticket since 2007, which were you guys born in 2007? Um, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> Shake it at me like that, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, I say that to tell you the story because after this, every time I saw Officer Fogel, I always related to Officer Fogel through the night that we had that night. 
Um, he was always the first guy that gave me a ticket. Um, and uh, yeah, it was probably my fault. Yes, it, it, it not probably. Okay. <laughs> yes, it was definitely my fault. Uh, <laughs> tough, tough crowd tonight. Tough crowd. Um, it was definitely my fault, but like that is how I saw him for years afterwards. Uh, until finally we were working. Uh, I had met Jesus in college dynamically. I had come back to help out with my old youth group, and we went to what's that thing at King's Dominion with all, huh? King's Fest. We went to King's Fest, um, and his church was set up beside my church, and he walked over, and we became friends. Um, we bonded over the incident, if you will. That's what we'll call it. Uh, and then we talked about the youth groups that we were there with. And that that change in our relationship is probably how he would have preferred our relationship to have been the entire time. Um, I had seen the man countless times since then. and had always run from him or had always thought negative things about him in my worst moments. Um, and had always blamed him, though it was definitely my fault. But that change... and. And seeing him through his authority or seeing him through the thing that he had done instead of seeing him as, as a father, as a person in the community, as someone out doing his job, it enabled us to become friends. And tonight in our passage, we're going to see a very important person come and meet Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, I don't want you to know me just for the things that I have done, but instead, I want you to know me for who I am, and that that will be significantly better. So if you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 4. We're going to be reading in verses 43 and continuing. So let's start in verse 43. It says, After the two days, he, he being Jesus, the two days are uh, the two days that Jesus has spent in Samaria. We heard about that last week. Um, and so Jesus has been in Samaria. He has now um, talked with the whole of the community for a few days. And then after those two days, he continues towards Galilee, which is where he was headed at the beginning of chapter 4. And then John gives us a parenthetical here. He says, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Very interesting thing for John to point out here as Jesus heads back to Galilee. Some of you, this parenthetical will be something that you will hold on to for a long time. As you grow in a dynamic relationship with Jesus, as you continue to get to know him during your time in college, you will feel very personally that a prophet is without honor in his or her own hometown. As you go back to places where you come from, as you speak with families, as you speak with friends who did not know you as a Jesus person, and it will be very hard for you. And Jesus would tell you that I know what that feels like. However, in our passage tonight, it's very interesting that John tells us this because of the very next line, okay? Now, a prophet is without honor in his own home, in his own country. And then it says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. So, so wait, what? <laughs> a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. The Galileans accepted him. Right? Like, I read the passage and I'm like, yo, John, like, what are you, what are you trying to say? Like, what, what, emo what do you guys call that emoji? It's one of my favorites. Like, the eh, man. Eh. 
Who, who, it's the who could say. Yes, exactly. That is the who could say emoji right there. Who could say? Um, and so... What what did John what did what did John mean? What is John trying to communicate to us? And as we dig deeper, we're going to find out. So stay with me. It says once more, we're in verse 44 now, he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. Now that's just two chapters before. You know, like you flip the page and you're already back to the story of water to wine, but John is making a point to come back to that, to tell us that this is what is happening again. He says, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, again, we don't know anything about this royal official. Uh, we don't know his name. We don't know who he was. Much like many characters throughout John's gospel, he shows up as an anonymous royal official. He may have been very important. He may not have been. He was definitely a person of some type of influence and some type of power because of the title that he is given here. But his, his importance and his power are not enough to do anything that he needs to be done. Because right now what we know is that his son lays sick in Capernaum and he has heard that Jesus is in the next town over. He has heard that Jesus is over in Galilee. He has heard that Jesus could do these crazy things. He has heard the stories that have been circulating about Jesus. He's been reading the Twitter feeds. He's been watching Instagram stories about this Jesus that has been out and about. And he's like, that, that's the guy. I, my son, I can't do anything for him. I feel powerless. And so I'm going to go and find out what this guy can do. And so he shows up. When, he heard, when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. This man full of power, this man with status, this man who had everything begs Jesus to come and heal his son. He, he's like, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything else. I'm at the end of my, Will you do something, Jesus? Just come. And then Jesus responds, and again, in just such a weird way, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe the royal official, not bothered by Jesus' statement, says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. How many, the next question that he asks, he looks at the servants and says, When? When he inquired as to the time, as to when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time. The exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So I think it's, this is just such a fascinating story in so many different ways and so many different facets because all the different players and all the different things that are happening. But I think that if we dig a little deeper, we'll see that the Galileans, much like this man, had accepted Jesus, but had only accepted Jesus because of the things that Jesus was able to do. They said that they were amazed by the things that he had done at the Passover festival. This man said that he had heard that Jesus was the person that could do these great things. And they're like, they're amazed at all these things that Jesus is doing, but they don't actually know who Jesus is. 
They had spent a lot of time reaching for things from Jesus' hand, and Jesus wanted to introduce them to his heart. They were caught in trying to get stuff from the Savior instead of actually getting to know the Savior. They were all about what he was doing and not about who he was. It's interesting to me that in this passage, what we see from the royal official is that he doesn't believe until the very, very end of the passage. He obeys halfway through our story, but he and his household don't believe until the end with the signs and wonders that Jesus says that this is what you need. The man then believes. The question for us tonight is what would it look like for us to believe before we saw the signs and wonders? What would it look like for us to not put, not put things that God has, hoops that God would have to jump through in order for us to believe him? What would it mean? What would that take? How could we live that way in, in a sense that we could believe in the one that he has sent instead of asking him to just do stuff for us? And I think that this is even more powerful in our passage tonight because it directly parallels the story from Water to Wine earlier. I have a chart that I want to put up here just to kind of, oh, baby, look at that. It's like we're in, you guys are like, oh, no, chemistry. Uh, no, it's not chemistry. It's just a chart. Don't worry. Um, so here are the two stories that we've read, uh, you know, from John 2 is on the left, if you will. Um, and then the official son, John 4, is on the right. And so what we see is at the beginning, Jesus' mother reports to the host is that run out of wine. The official comes to Jesus with a request for his son to be healed. So the, the problem is stated. Then we see that Jesus rebuffs. Uh, so this is, obviously I didn't choose these words. Um, and the even tougher part is I can see the commentary that it came from, but I didn't write her name down. Her name is Mary Ann. Her name is definitely Mary Ann. <laughs> I just don't know that I remember what the last name is. So that's tough. So my bad. Um, so Jesus uh, rebuffs his mother and ignores her request. And then he ignores the request of the official son. Then Jesus' mother, not bothered by Jesus' request or his uh, answer, she says, do whatever, tells the servants to do whatever he tells you. The official again renews his petition. Uh, Jesus gives a command to the servants to fill the jars. He gives a command to the official, go, your son will live. Uh, the servants obey Jesus' word. The official obeys Jesus' word. Then the servants who had drawn the water know, corroboration by the servants who know when his fever had left him. Then at the end of the water to wine passage, the disciples believe. At the end of the official son passage, the official and his whole household believe. Belief for both of these parties doesn't happen until the very, very end. And I think that we, tonight, can choose to believe way before the very, very end. And can you think about what our lives would be like if we were to live lives of such radical faith? If we were to live lives that believed, that, that expected, that had an expectation for God to move and to see him move in power. And that we believed that he would do things, that we believed that he was for us, we believed that he was with us, we believed that he was who he said he was, and that we got to know him, not just for what he's done for us, but for who he is. I think it's fascinating in both these stories that the next to last thing that happens is we see that the servants who had drawn the water know, and that the servants who were the, uh, working with the official come and tell him what has happened. And I think that, that, that Jesus and John here 
are trying to, to give us a picture about who God is coming after. That, it's, it's, that, that this radical gospel is truly for everyone. That it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done up to this point. It doesn't matter if you're in a powerful person who is unnamed. If you're the mother of God. It doesn't matter if you're a servant. It doesn't matter if you're a disciple. It doesn't matter if you're just these random people in the official's household. That, that this belief, that this knowledge, that this relationship is offered to each and every single one of us. And I think that if we're going to live lives that are going to move from expecting signs and waters in, in order to believe and to just believe and know God, that that's what it's going to take. That we're going to have to, to take up our intimacy with Jesus. In order for us to know that he's good, we're going to have to know him, period. In order for us to understand his goodness, we're going to have to know who he is. And I think that as we kind of move towards an application tonight, my application for us tonight is that what is it going to take for us to know God? What could that look like for us if we were to prioritize knowing God? And here's the thing I know in some sense I'm preaching to the choir, which is a phrase that church people say, even though nobody has choirs anymore. It's tough. Um, you, in Danville, you definitely have choir, yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, so that was totally got sidetracked there. It, hap- it happens. Who could say? Um, because it is midterm season. That's where I was going at. It's midterm season, and you guys are here right now because you're prioritizing your relationship with Jesus in some form, in some fashion. That you could have three midterms tomorrow. You could have had three midterms last week. You, I mean, you could have a paper due tonight. Like, there are so many things that are going on in your lives right now, but you're taking a step of radical obedience to prioritize your relationship with Jesus and to be here amongst the gathered community. Also, can I tell you this? This is, this is uh, not a sermon, just a thought. Uh, college is not the best four years of your life, and it should be very evidenced right now in the middle of midterm. I don't take midterms anymore. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, you guys out there grinding, I'm like, nah, fam, I'm going to go play pool basketball. Um, so we, have, we, we are accepting applications to work with Chi Alpha. We don't give midterms, uh, so you're at the top of the list. Glad to have you. Um, for the recording, that was Marina. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for... <laughs> That's, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, random story. When I first met PK, it was a random text message that I sent uh, to him to get together. I did not tell him my name. Um, we met for an hour and agreed to meet again, and I still did not tell him my name. Uh, we just had one of those random text conversations and like the phone will tell you like maybe it's this person. Nah, his was not telling him anything because I had never told him who I was. Um, but here we are now. So <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. So, um, so here, here are some things that I, I have been on the journey with when it comes to getting to know God better. And uh, what I'm going to tell you is a quote from Jeremy Owens' grandmother. Um, None of you know who Jeremy Owens is. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Um, He, uh, Jeremy is the person I have lived with the most other than my wife. Um, 
we lived together in college. Uh, Jeremy is uh, left-handed. Uh, Jeremy always points like this. Uh, Jeremy has a very, very smooth golf swing. Uh, he is currently a doctor of some sort, who could say. Um, he was a chemistry teacher in Fairfax for a long time and then decided he wanted to go to medical school as a 35-year-old. Um, and he's out there crushing it, uh, and so that's great. Um, and uh, he, uh, he, I remember living with him in a house that we called the Price House in college. We called it that because it was on Price Avenue. We we're so clever. Um, and Jeremy said, uh, a quote from his grandmother, she said, you always make time for the things you love. And I find that my relationship with Jesus works out the same way, that you always make time for the things you love. And that it's not that, and that I find the more time I spend with Jesus, and the more time I spend with Jesus, and the more time I spend with Jesus, the more that I know who he is, the more that I can connect to his heart, the more that I can have him connect with me, the more that I can know that I know that I know that I know who he is and what he wants me to do. So I'm going to encourage you to take radical steps to be with Jesus. Now, some of the, some of the things uh, that I'm going to say for application points, Marina's already covered, so that's great. Um, and so one of the things that I, I want to point out is that in any relationship that you have, in any relationship that you have, like you can always judge how a relationship is doing by the intentional time that you spend together. Um, some of you uh, live in houses together. You live in apartments together. Some of you are going to live in houses together or in apartments together. Um, and you're going to think that just because you're around each other, that it's going to be intentional quality time with each other, but it's actually not. What's going to happen is you're going to see each other coming in and out of the door. You're going to see each other go to your car. You're going to see each other go to the fridge. And you're going to think, that better not be my milk. Um, yo, just, just make it community milk. You know what I mean? It should always be community milk. Um, hey, hey, I'm not, I didn't try to start a milk fight. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, but, and I think that sometimes in our relationship with Jesus, that's how it goes too. Like, you know, I saw you Sunday morning at church, and then I saw you at Tuesday Night Live, and then I saw you Wednesday night at core group, and then, like, I met up with somebody from core group, and we mentioned you, yeah, yeah, we mentioned you, um, and, like, and we find, like, we, we find Jesus in passing instead of finding Jesus on, on purpose, so I'm going to encourage you to set aside time to spend extravagant time with Jesus so that you can move from what can he do for me to who he is. And look, I know that this is radical. Like I, I went to college, you know, a decade ago. Um, you have more free time now than you'll ever have. And here's the worst part. None of you believe me. Um, but, you know, a couple years after you graduate, you'll call me back and you'll be like, yo, my bad. You were right, and I understand that. It's okay. I won't hold it against you, um, but you need to prioritize spending time with Jesus now. If you think that it's going to happen later, it's, if you don't set that standard now, it, it probably won't. So in order for you to do that, you're going to have to make pre-decisions. 
Uh, so the first decision you're going to have to make is when do I want to spend time with Jesus? Where would be the best possible time? Where and when? So is it uh, early in the morning? For most of you, probably not. For some of you, yes. Is it in the middle of the day? Can you actually honestly not fall asleep watching an office episode in the middle of the day? Or can you avoid the Dunkin' Donuts line at SSC, which is entirely too long all the time? Can they please take mobile orders? I don't understand. Yeah, I just don't understand. Like, this just doesn't make any sense. Um, not, not a sermon, just a thought. Um, so for me, uh, it is, I like to do my time from 8 to 10 in the morning. Um, so that means that I have to be ready to do it at 8 o'clock. And so that means I have to go to bed at the right amount of time in order to get up, get my kids out the door, walk my kids to school, uh, and come back and spend extravagant time with Jesus. Um, and so you guys have to find a place that would be just you and Jesus and find a time that is going to work for you in order to have that type of space. Then when you get in that space, here's what I'm going to say. I want to encourage you to do two things. I'm going to encourage you to talk, and I'm going to encourage you to listen. Everything that, that every relationship has is talking and listening. I'm going to encourage you to do both of those things. Uh, talk to Jesus. Uh, you can uh, ask him for things. You can do that. He is totally okay with that. That's what he wants you to do. But also just invite him into your day. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton has been a tremendous uh, mentor and guide for me in the, this uh, dynamic relationship with Jesus. Um, and she, she talks about at the end of the day or at the beginning of the next day, just inviting God into our previous day and into our current day and saying, what is a, what is a space that I missed you in yesterday? Or what was a time that I really saw you? Or what is a time that I can expect to see you today? And just invite God into those moments and give him space to speak back to you. This morning, I actually read Psalm 139 um, and sat down and just journaled what I felt like the Lord was speaking to me as I asked him, what, what was yesterday like and what is today going to be like? And it, was, it wasn't revolutionary, but it was powerful. And we just continued on the journey together. Then I would encourage you to listen um, and to have times of, of, of silence, of listening to the Lord in your life, um, that we can be so caught up in uh, dings and uh, notifications and the newest thing and all these things going on that we can miss times of silence in our lives. Um, so I would encourage you to have times of intense silence in your life. And hey, in order for this to happen, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, pointers. The first one is, um, the pointer is going to be to uh, silence your phone, okay? I'm going to encourage you to keep your phone with you because I'm going to encourage you to set an alarm for how long you would like to sit in silence. Because uh, how many of you know that when you go to sit in silence, here's what could happen. Here's what happens to me. All right, Jesus, I got seven minutes that I can sit in silence right here. Yo, it's been seven minutes, right? Oh, been 35 seconds. It's tough. All right, God, we're going to try again. Oh, I don't want to miss my appointment. I don't want to miss class. I need to keep, and I just keep checking my phone. I just keep checking my watch. And so I found that just setting an alarm just really helps me just to stay in silence for that amount of time. The alarm goes off and I can finish and then move on with whatever else is going to happen. Um, you're also going to need to find the space. Um, 
And you're going to need to, if you are in a roommate situation, you're going to need to fight for that space for each other to where you're not, uh, like, asking each other questions or all those things, but to, to, like, really fight for it. The world would be happy for you to be busy uh, for the entirety of your lives. And that Jesus would say there's something better than just going about in a busy life, but actually settling down and knowing him. And so... Um, the band probably has a song ready uh, to close, but I'm going to cancel it. <laughs> Finger guns. Um, and I'm going to do that because instead, I'm going to invite you to sit in silence right now. And we're uh, going to start, you're going to start your silence journey, your time of listening to Jesus and talking to him right now. Uh, I'm going to let you do it for two minutes, okay? I have the timer set, um, and so uh, I'm just going to, I'm not going to pray to open it up. I'm going to let you just sit there. If you don't yet dynamically know Jesus, um, you're just still kind of on the journey, I invite you to sit in silence and to see if the Lord would speak to you um, to let you calm yourself. And so if everybody could get their chair movements out of the way, specifically Miles, you've had a tough chair tonight. Um <laughs> So that's good. Great. All right. So now you're going to have two minutes, and we're going to start right now. Time. Pencils down. I'm tweaking right now. Uh, so that was two minutes. For some of you, that may have felt like 15 minutes. For some of you, that may have felt like 30 seconds. Um, I'm going to encourage you that whatever it felt like, if it felt like it was a very long time, to begin to build up 
your silence time, to build up your listening time, to build up your talking time with Jesus. Don't try tomorrow morning to wake up and do two hours of silence. That that I mean, you're just going to take a nap. Like, and so, uh, but to kind of like find yourself spending more time with Jesus, finding space to spend more time with Jesus, um, and then, uh, yeah. So I would encourage you to talk with the person around you as we begin to close about what that felt like, just to kind of give yourself some accountability and some conversation with your friends that are around you. Um, but I'm going to invite you all to stand as I'll pray and then close with a benediction.